Welcome to Brand Meet Creator Podcast, a place where we pull back the curtain of what it means to be all in on social media. So get ready to kickstart conversations about the social media world with a little leave nothing off the table transparency, or maybe more than just a little. Your girl has yet to learn the art of a filter. So tuck in. It's time to bring some solidarity to the influencer and brand space. Today, I'm bringing on Sonia Elise to chat about the rise and a weird fall moment of Glossier, what they're doing, what they did wrong, what we can do to learn from their mistakes. So let's jump in. If those low engagement blues are getting you down and monetizing on this platform seems like a pipe dream, girlfriend, do I have a solution for you. My signature program, Millennial Escape, is finally back for its fourth cohort on February 15th, and seats are limited. This program details the strategy that brought me 16K followers in under 60 days, but also allowed me to build a business that doubled my 9-to-5 salary in under a year. Whether you are a creator, service-based business, or social seller, it's time to put your foot on the gas. This is far more than some pre-recorded slides. This eight-week intensive is set up to put personalized insight, feedback, and ideas for social media success right in your hands. Visit millennialescape.com or head to the show notes for full details. You better believe your millennial escape is on the horizon. Welcome, Sonia Elise, to Brand Meet Creator. Sonia is a certified consumer marketing strategist with especially hot takes on the digital marketing space. This beauty marketing bigwig has worked with some of the biggest brands in the industry. It Cosmetics, Kiehl's, Clarins, to name a few. But let's get to why this New York girl is taking her permanent seat at the Brand Meet Creator table. Sonia has been in influencer marketing since the literal inception and has paid thousands of influencers millions of dollars through the campaigns she ideates and facilitates. So a warm welcome to my BFF and the internet cheerleader, Sonia Elise. Sonia, please tell me what you are currently up to in the social media sphere. Uh, Thank you so much, Harley. What a great intro. I mean, I couldn't have done it better myself. Um, What am I up to? Oh my gosh. Uh, Other than the different colors of euphoria themed eyeliner every day, which I live for on your stories. Thank you. I'm currently in a blue mode, which (laughs) I love. I'm not quite as good as the euphoria girls yet, but I'm desperately trying to be cool. (laughs) So we're working on it. Um, But yeah, right now I am focusing a lot on um, working with some really great new influencers over on TikTok for some of my brands, um, leveraging my own presence on Instagram and TikTok, and just like hanging out and seeing what's going on out there these days. And there's a lot of change right now, (laughs) which is why I'm so excited to bring you on. So the reason we are hanging out for this episode is you keep bringing up some serious Glossier tea. And as someone that knows disgustingly little about beauty things, tell me what on earth is happening. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I have to challenge that because your hair journey, you know things, you know things, you're always looking right. So... (laughs) She knows things, people. But um, in terms of what's going on, so if uh, people are not aware, Glossier recently announced that they were laying off a significant amount of their staff um, after Ooh. trying to, you know, reinvent and reinvigorate through our recent COVID crisis. They're just not coming out on the other end on top 
right now. And so unfortunately, they've had to let go. I believe about 80 employees was the quote, and most of those are in their tech sector. So it was really, I think, a large blow to the beauty industry as they have been held very in high regard, top of the pedestal. One of the brands that I hear cited the most by other brands that they would like to emulate, be like, how do they get there? Um, Why do brands want to be like Glossier? Because they broke the mold, in short. Uh, They went about it in a different way, and they created a community that was so ravenous for their product that there were lines down the street in sub-zero temps here in New York to get into their store. So how can... Which which one? <laughs> which ones? Exactly all of them. So I used to, you know, I'm not far away from Soho and they have a store there. Unfortunately, it's closed now. Um, and there were always lines of ladies and gents waiting to get in for boy brow or milk jelly cleanser or whatever the latest drop was going to be. And of course, other brands want to know, how do we build that kind of loyalty? How do we build right. that kind of excitement and dedication? Um, yeah. A a cult following for sure. And one of the first viral followings, I think. Um, The brand went from zero to one million in about four years. Not a usual growth path for people. The expansion has been insane. Not for a brand. Not for a brand. Not for a brand. No, it is extremely difficult. And we're seeing more outliers, I think, especially since uh, the launch of TikTok and brands being on TikTok, where we are seeing that one to a million growth happen very, very quickly. But I will say that Glossier was one of the first. Okay, so they broke the mold with what they were doing. They built this cult following. What do you think led to the downfall? Where should they have? Yeah. What do you think led to the downfall? Start there. (laughs) So it is definitely a multi-pronged issue, right? So first and foremost, they took a very significant investment into the brand. So by taking investments um, from outside parties, uh, they are now subject to creating a very high return. To those parties. So how do people create a high return in a business? They have to expand very, very quickly. This meant that they lost the reins of their brand, I think, a little bit. They started to make mm-hmm. decisions based off of achieving those returns instead of right. the what the community would really want and what had gotten them to the place. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So instead of making those decisions based off of their why and their how, they were making them based off of what type of investment will we get on this moving forward? What will, how will this position mm-hmm. us for global expansion? Um, and I think they lost sight of mm-hmm. a lot of what made them them starting out. So that would be the first place for me. Additionally, I think that they spent a lot of money building a persona and a brand that was about no makeup, makeup, embracing a natural look, having Mm, a natural feel and for sure. And they were definitely the first to create a girl that other girls wanted to be. Right. Like you saw the mm-hmm. effortlessness of this girl who rolled out of bed, did a little bit of boy brow and like put on a moisturizer and she was like gorgeous. So people wanted to be that. And they built that persona up so big that it was almost unattainable at certain points. Like the, you just couldn't create that look with 
I, the average skin or with the average look, you just yeah. weren't hitting those standards. So I think that also became a little bit difficult for them. I, I think that that girl is scary. Like I, because I <laughs> know that that, that doesn't seem attainable, that like roll out of bed thing t- seems mm-hmm. terrifying to me. Sure. And I think that is what happened. Like they really leaned into that. And that is definitely more of a millennial um, aesthetic and less of a Gen Z aesthetic, right? So they started to see that disconnect, that millennials were really so latched onto the brand and that they weren't able to reach out and get this more youthful consumer. So what did they do? They launched Glossier Play. And Glossier Play was like for the party girl, right? They started to do colorful Mm. liners, um, more wild looks, um, and they wanted to really get this more youthful consumer. Well, in launching the sub-brand, that takes way more R&D, all new product range, Mm -hmm. all new marketing, and it did not sell well, unfortunately, because I think it was such a left turn from where they started that the consumer was like, what is this? The core people who were lining up, it was not their aesthetic, and they hadn't attracted Exactly. They hadn't attracted enough of this new younger consumer slowly. They were trying to grab it all at once. And I think it just led to like a bit of a dissolve of the brand there. Really unfortunate. So nothing was wrong with the marketing. If you look look at the marketing itself, Mm -hmm. the Instagram, the TikTok, their presence there. Was there anything that pivoted that just didn't make sense? Or was it to the book? It just wasn't on brand. It just wasn't them. It wasn't what made them sparkle. I do think that the actual assets and the actual execution was still in that cool girl aesthetic as to what made them them. Like it did still have the same tone of voice. We still saw our Mm -hmm. millennial pink, you know, it was still identified as Glossier. It wasn't like, so like, what is that am I looking at here? But a few areas that did shift and change that I think were major issues is one, their influencer marketing. So I'm sure everyone knows the Glossier code. They were one of the first people who started to reach out to influencers, giving them individualized codes um, that they could share in exchange for affiliate partnerships. And those girls were making commission off of those sales. And I think that that partnership started really core and really niche. They only onboarded people who were really their typical person. And they really relied on that group of influencers. They asked them, you know, product development questions. They had a group chat. And as Glossier reached more virality, they started to onboard people like crazy. And it no longer became special that you had the code. It was no longer special that you were part of this group. You didn't have the support from the community that you did at the very beginning. So I think that was one area of marketing where they really unraveled. They lost that feeling of super tight knit community. Um, And I do still think that they have it on Instagram, but I think that they, you know, they just lost the reins overall. I think when you grow that quickly, it's so hard to keep tight control internally and externally. You know, we hear that they had a lot of problems internally with new hires, discrimination, all sorts of issues that have popped up. And that is also a symptom of growing too quickly, not growing with intention, not hiring people who uphold your values. And we saw that reflected externally as well with the management of their influencer network, the new product launches and different things that they were doing, just not really feeling like the right fit. Right. So with this influencer marketing conversation, with them not being selective and bringing in everyone, 
what what's the what's the pivot for influencer marketing in general? How can we avoid this situation while still ensuring? I guess my my point of view is the creator economy. We are in the midst of it. Everyone mm-hmm. and their mother can be a creator. Everyone and their mother can jump onto Instagram and create a reel, jump onto TikTok, tell me your wild story about a brand, give me an honest review and have it go viral, right? There's so many people that have gained hundreds of thousands of followers in that viral growth. Mm -hmm. So what does that say for creators? I don't know if that wasn't even a question. What is that? Ramble with me. It was more of it was more of a feeling. Um, but feeling. I gave you all of my vibe. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's see if I can try and interpret into a lesson for um, <laughs> brands and creators. Um, here's where I think that you could learn from Glossier if you are looking to build a community and an influencer program that will last. One is that as you grow, it doesn't necessarily mean that like your influencer database has to grow as quickly, right? I think now we really hold true that the depth of the partnership could be more important than the width, right? And what I mean by that is if I'm investing in Harley as an influencer and ambassador for my brand, I might now look at her and say, what can we do over the whole course of a year? As opposed to how do I find one girl that's similar to Harley every single month for an entire year, right? So I think that's where Glossier got it wrong. And I get why they went the method that they went. You know, it's very difficult, I will say. I mean, I definitely still look up to them as a brand. I still look to them for lessons. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that these layoffs are mean this is the end of the brand whatsoever. But I think that something that people can learn here is that the pivot is not more, more, more. The pivot is how do I invest in people who are already on board, yes. who have already been loyal? Where can I take yes. that partnership for the long term? Um, because, you know, mm-hmm. their audience is growing. My audience is going to grow along with them. My product offering is growing. How can they show their audience the new products? So I think that there's always an opportunity to reward the people who have been with you for a longer term, as opposed to continuing to look away from the community to find new people. I'm just nodding my head vigorously. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think we've been in this age of one-off, 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 one-off. And everyone can say over and over again that long-term is better. Long-term is better. Find a brand that you can work with forever. Find a influencer that you can work with long-term. That's how marketing works. We want to see your product again and again and again and know that you love it and it's your go-to. If I'm jumping Mm -hmm. between foundations every month, you're not going to believe me. Like foundation is a thing that you stick to. It's not something that you trial a billion times. So it wouldn't make sense. That's my thoughts. (laughs) For sure. I mean, I think in the beauty industry, it is difficult because you do use a lot of products from a lot of different people. And, you know, sometimes you mix products and sometimes something new is introduced and you want to do that. But there is a reason why some of the best content is like, what did I finish this month? There are a long laundry list of producers in the space who talk about their empties, as we say. And That is so Mm -hmm. valuable because as someone who is, I would say, an above average consumer of beauty products, 
getting to the end of something before it gets like icky and gross and I want to throw it out is Mm -hmm. dedication. That's dedication. That means I really loved this thing. I incorporated it every single day and I made it all the way to the end. Even bigger compliment, I purchased it again. So um, I think if you are working with someone and this is something that I've done with some of my skincare clients before, we contract for a certain amount of exposures over the lifetime of the product. So most products should be lasting you one month to three months, perhaps, if you're using them every day as prescribed. So we're asking the influencer that's promoting this product to be checking in consistently over that product lifetime. Um, That's also how you generate before and afters um, in skincare specifically is by saying this was me on day one when I started using it. And this is me on day 28 or day 60 or day 90. Um, And that's how we get honest before and afters and honest review from influencers. Yeah. And that, I mean, that really does drive you into exclusivity. It drives you into people that are really sticking through and through. It also drives you into a space where your person that you pick has to be specialized in that one thing. It has to be a very niche down conversation because if you're not that beauty creator, if you're not specialized in whatever we're talking about here, why am I going to hire you? Why am I going to know from your portfolio on your Instagram that I should hire you for seven months? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you really have to convince people, which means that like, if let's say, you know, we don't always want to hire a skincare person every single time for skincare. Of course, we want to incorporate people who have other interests, But I'm not going to hire someone who's never shown their skincare routine. I'm never Mm -hmm. going to hire someone who has never done a QA and a about what they use on their face. You know, there has to be some level of consistent interest, even if it's not the number one niche for them to be even a consideration. Now, of course, it just depends on the goals of of the campaign who I'm looking for. Sometimes I am looking for specialists who all they do is review skincare and, you know, they're really deep into the science and the ingredients and they have a deep understanding of skincare because they can speak to things like no one else can. But sometimes Mm -hmm. I just need someone who is relatable, who has a community that trusts them and listens, and who I know has shown up consistently talking about this subject previously. And sometimes that's enough um, because then I know I have the trust that that person is able to show up every Monday and talk about like what they're using to take off their makeup or whatever else. Um, right. So it, it is right. about niche, but it's also about being able to identify consistency for sure. Consistency and community were really the drive yeah. homes there, which I mean, let's wrap it up, take it home is where Glossier kind of fell. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's difficult to dissect all the pieces because it does run so deep with the brand that is that large that grow that quickly. Um, But I would Mm -hmm. say the community is really what built them, right? They started as a blog and then they created product second. And that's not something that I can say I've ever seen anywhere else where someone started a super successful community as a blog, as a written subject, and then launched a product off of that. Glossier was- I didn't know that. Yeah, um, as far as I know. Wow. No, quote me, but I, I okay, mean, if, if someone has another one, let me know. <laughs> because I cannot think quote in my marketing history. Yeah. 
Quote me every publication, but if I'm wrong, like it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know. But if I'm wrong, don't hate me. But as far as <laughs> I am aware, <laughs> this is one of the first times where product was not at the launch. It was pure community and communication. And because that trust was already built, product launch was so easy and so viral right away. But community has always been at the core of this brand. So I think getting away from that community, getting away from the why they created this brand in the first place, that I think is, was the beginning of, of the tipping block there. Finding that why. That why that makes you cry and that why that makes you sparkle. So you know what? This pivots us amazingly well into our next episode about finding a growth-worthy niche in the internet space. So press that subscribe button, set your alarm for March 1st for another Sonia-filled episode. And in the meantime, where can my VIP BFFs find you, Sonia? Oh my gosh, I hope all of your BFFs find me because ever since I met you, I knew that we were meant to be. So if you love Harley, I know that we will get along. Um, and you can find me um, on the Instagram or the TikTok at Sonia, S-O-N-I-A dot Elise, E-L-Y-S-S. And I drop lots of knowledge over there about influencer marketing, brand marketing, beauty biz, all types of fun stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brand Meet Creator. If you loved it, rate, review, subscribe, and of course, share. For more on how you can create, influence, and get paid, come hang out with me on Instagram at Harley Jordan. <laughs>